Hello everyone and welcome back to What on Earth. This is the Hubbub podcast and today we're going to be talking all about food. Uh, So this crisis has brought to light some of the extreme divisions in access to food in the UK. So while some of us have been able to spend loads more time in the kitchen learning how to cook, others have been really pressured by the rising cost of feeding a family and their anxieties about access to food. The polarisation that people are experiencing isn't something new and COVID-19 has just exposed and deepened a food divide that was already there in Britain. The system is massively complex and I've been trying to understand it, but I'm not going to tackle the entire food system in one episode. What I'm most interested in finding out is how and where we buy food from and how we've ended up with a system that is super wasteful while a huge amount of the country is going hungry. So, taking a look back at the time before the lockdown, if anyone can remember such a thing, uh, the picture looked a little bit like this. So most of us shopped at really big supermarkets fighting for discounted prices and threw away roughly a third of the food that we bought. While at the same time in 2019, 1.6 million food bank parcels were given out to families and 19% of children were living in food insecure households. So the first thing to investigate here is the price competition in supermarkets. So this happens because unlike we might have done a few generations ago, we're not super loyal to one particular supermarket and we're happy to shop around for the lowest price, which means that competitors are constantly fighting to get the lowest price to attract customers. So in the UK, we spend about 8% of our income on food, which might sound quite high, but is actually the third lowest in the world which means a lot of us end up buying way more than we need and then wasting it either because it goes off in the fridge or we actually don't know how to cook it in the first place, so it ends up going in the bin. Looking forward to Brexit and then a potential recession, that might mean food prices start to go up. Uh, And on the plus side, that could mean public health improves because it could lead to people consuming fewer calories as well as reducing the amount of stuff they throw away. But on the downside, it can also lead to worsening diets if fresh produce like fruit and vegetables become way more expensive than processed food, which isn't as good for people. And there's also an environmental impact to all of this seeming abundance in shops. We've become really used to eating out of season uh, and we balk if strawberries are a higher price in December than they are in June, despite the fact that if you buy strawberries in December, they'll have had to be grown and shipped from a completely different country. Demand to have exactly what we want, when we want it, all at the lowest possible cost, puts a huge pressure on farmers and on the environment. Intensive farming has huge knock-on implications on biodiversity and soil health, which we've talked about before on the podcast. So if you want to find out more about that, go back and listen to our episode on bees or our earlier episode on food. Looking at the other side of the divide, despite lower prices, other really high household costs like people's rent and bills coupled with the fact that wages have been stagnating for a really long time is making it difficult for lots and lots of families to put food on the table. So what I want to know is how we found ourselves in a position where our food system has so much waste while so many people are struggling to feed their families. To find out a little bit more, I'm going to go and chat to Aoife, who I work with at Hubbub, and she's been doing some polling to find out how people have been experiencing food during the crisis. And she's also got a little bit of wisdom for what might happen in the future. 
So we're here to talk to Aoife, who works with me at Hubbub, uh, to find out a little bit more about some polling that we did at Hubbub to find out what people's food experiences have been like during uh, the crisis. But I'm also interested in finding out um, what some of the problems in our food system are more broadly. So Aoife, thank you so much for coming to speak to us. That's my pleasure, no problem at all. That's my first question really is, I mean, obviously some of these problems have been worsened by coronavirus, um, but what were they to begin with? Okay, so our food system, I suppose the first thing to say is that it's really, really complicated. We have really long supply chains stretching all over the world. And that system has come really to depend on everything functioning perfectly in sequence to deliver the levels of sort of abundance and freshness and diverse, really affordable food that we've become quite used to. So that's one of the first issues. It's just really complex and really long. And when you have something that's very, very complex and long, there are lots of points at which things can go wrong, if that makes sense. Mm -hmm. Um, So that's one of the first uh, issues that we come up against with the food system that we're uh, working with today. Um, A second piece is that, and it's linked, is that we've become really, really used to cheap food, like very, very low cost food. And to the extent in some cases that low cost is often prioritised over sustainability and quality of food. So that's a second piece to kind of paint the picture of some of the issues that we have with our food system. And then a third bit is that even though we have some of the cheapest food in the world, um, many people in the UK actually struggle to afford a good diet. Um, That sounds a bit ironic or a bit uh, (laughs) conflicting, but part of the reason for that is that even though food is quite cheap in the UK, we actually have some of the cheapest food per capita in the world, Um, but wages are also quite low in the UK and other costs of living are quite Mm -hmm. high. Um, So that gives you a bit of a broad picture of some of the issues that we have in our food system at the moment. And I'm interested in how they've been made worse by coronavirus. So, I mean, for a lot of us experiencing shortages in the supermarkets for the first time in our lives, probably, um, and how things like that end up happening. Yeah, so I guess a couple of really significant issues cropped up around food with coronavirus, and it's something we could almost talk about all day because it's been such <laughs> a multifaceted um, situation. But just to go through a couple of the bits, um, so obviously COVID disrupted our really complex food system, which has very, very long supply chains stretching all over the world. Um, And as I kind of alluded to, when one thing goes wrong, it can throw that long chain right out of whack. And that's in some cases how we ended up uh, seeing empty shelves for the first time and some kind of anxiety and fear around foods during COVID. Um, Another thing that came up there is that we've got uh, a situation where uh, food that's intended for, say, restaurants or hospitality or schools isn't packaged and prepared to be sold to uh, households. So while there weren't acute shortages necessarily within the country, um, kind of all the staples were out there, they often just weren't packaged up in such a way that you could divert them from restaurants or hospitals uh, that weren't receiving them into retail supermarkets where, where members of the public could access them. So, for example, we saw a lot of shortages of wheat. That's partly caused by the fact that, you know, there was... There was wheat in the country, but actually we don't in households buy a 15 or 20 kilo bag of wheat to make (laughs) cakes and scones. We buy them in kind of 500 grams or one kilo bags. So the way that we've set up our food system 
works brilliantly when we don't have a national pandemic or a national crisis, but actually a lot of aspects ended up grinding to a bit of a halt when we were up against it and when all the things we're quite used to, such as labour being able to move easily across borders, goods being able to move easily across borders, uh, the just-in-time system operating well in the supermarket where we kind of receive things in a couple of days before they're to go onto the shelves. All of that stuff kind of got a bit disrupted. Um, so that's one thing. Um, another issue that crept into the food system or became a bit of a challenge for people was that low income piece that I spoke to where people's budgets were suddenly stretched and mm -hmm. people were under stresses at home that they might not have been normally. Um, we had a lot of people kind of working from home and homeschooling and suddenly having to deliver the lunches, the, the school meals, et cetera, that we're used to getting out of home. So I know that Habab um, have done some polling during the crisis, uh, trying to find out how different people were experiencing food. Um, and I wonder if you could give us some of the headlines from that, because there was some stuff in there that really interested me, particularly, um, I guess, how divergent those experiences have been. And I didn't realise that, you know, for some people they've had loads of time to cook and it's been a really positive experience. And for other households, it's been much less so. Yes, yeah, Sarah, absolutely. So we did some polling early in April to try and just get a snapshot of how people were thinking and feeling about their food across the UK as a result of the lockdown. Um, so we've discovered, as you say, like quite a mixed picture. Um, lots of people were cooking more, taking the time to brush up on their skills. Um, you know, 30% of people with children said it was an opportunity to get their kids cooking more, uh, teach them about, about cooking. We also found that about half of people were interested in ways to preserve food more and make it go further. Um, around half said they were wasting less and almost 60% actually said they were valuing their food more, which is a really, really positive thing. But on the flip side, unfortunately, we also discovered that people were experiencing a lot of stress and worry around food. So those worries extended from, um, you know, worried about uh, shortages of staples in store, in stores to um, worrying about actually finding the money to put food on the table. We saw about half of people worrying about both those things, which is really significant. And then we found about a quarter of people were just finding cooking and preparing extra meals to be absolutely exhausting. Mm. So that's kind of the mixed picture. Um, another thing that we found, which I found very interesting, is that people were starting to shop differently to how they normally did. Um, so around 90% of people, first of all, said that they were buying more food locally, making different choices to how they would normally bring food into the home. Um, some people were choosing veg boxes for the first time. Others were supporting local producers uh, and local sellers, such as butchers and greengrocers. Uh, so you can see that it's, it's kind of, I suppose, jolted people out of their norm, uh, almost out of necessity. And while some people are experiencing extreme stress around food um, and we've got a huge role to kind of support people to make, make better use of their food and help, help them to make it go further. We're also seeing that in some cases, people are becoming more active food citizens um, being more active, knowledgeable and curious about where their food comes from. So now that you have all of this information, what do you think that it means for the future of food and what happens after this crisis? So I think the first thing is that we need to think about a more diverse uh, food system and more diverse uh, ways of accessing food. So as I mentioned, we've seen people becoming that bit more engaged on, on what they eat, and that can only be a good thing for our food system and for the environment. Um, 
and for people's health and the health of health of the planet too. So um, investing in local veg box schemes, um, supporting people to choose their green grocer, um, investing in and looking to, you know, uh, innovations like soilless growing in urban farms, the use of hydroponics, etc. I think there's a huge amount of space now for support to those industries and investment in them too. And it'd be a real shot in the arm for the high street too, if we were to kind of look to those um, more diverse ways of shopping um, and consuming food. We're also at Hub Up thinking around the idea of food hubs. And that's actually, it's obviously quite a loose term but what we mean by that is community spaces where people can learn about food learn cooking skills perhaps learn a bit about growing at home um, and also for small-scale food entrepreneurs or small producers to bring their food to a small local market so food hubs are something that we really want to do a lot of thinking and development around over the coming year as we exit um lockdown and exit this this quite strange period um, we're not being super idealistic. Uh, we know that the supermarkets have a really important role to play in providing food in the UK. You know, if everybody had switched to veg boxes during lockdown, um, <laughs> there wouldn't have been enough food for them. And the retailers play a really important role in our food system. But it's just about introducing that little bit of diversity so that we're not 100% reliant on the current system that exists with the retailers. And also within those bigger businesses, um, it's a really good time to think about good deals for farmers who grow and prioritise domestic produce in a responsible way. We really want to look at taking those small, diverse growers out of the niche space and into mainstream retail too. So there's, there's tons of space in, in a, you know, a sustainable food system uh, for both the big retailers who've done a terrific job of supporting people and making keeping the stock the the shelf stocked as much as possible through the lockdown uh, and then also smaller producers who are producing in a really responsible way and shortening those uh, those complex food chains for us and if people want to find out a little bit about the polling but also the work that's happening at the moment where can they go uh, so obviously hubbub.org.uk, we've got a couple of really good blogs on what we think the future of food can be in the UK. Uh, we also have a short report on there called the State of the Nation's Plate that will give a little bit of context to that polling we conducted because there's plenty more to it than anything I described there. And then if, we're, if anybody's really curious to kind of look into the issues more deeply and what, what the next stage of Britain's food system might be, um, good resources to look at would be those of the Soil Association uh, and uh, our friends in the sector at Sustain and organisations like that. Amazing. Well, thank you so much for coming to speak to us. That's my pleasure. Thank you so much for having me, Sarah. Thank you so much for Aoife for taking some time out to come and talk to us. Uh, like she said, all the polling that we did is available online if you want to go and find out about it. It's quite interesting. Um, the next thing that I wanted to know, though, is how we could turn all of that information into something practical, uh, because it's all very well and good to theoretically talk about all these problems with food. Um, but what can I do at home to make sure that I'm not wasting food and to make sure that I can make the most of what I'm buying uh, without having to spend loads of money? Uh, so these are a couple of the things that we came up with. Uh, the first thing that I think everybody should look into is freezing. I was a little bit scared of freezing stuff before the lockdown, which sounds silly, but just I didn't know what I could freeze, how long you can freeze it for, um, whether it's going to be healthy when you heat it back up again, but it turns out you can basically freeze anything. Uh, most stuff can just bang in the freezer and it can be a really good way of giving yourself an extra dinner on a day that you don't want to cook 
Um, I think what Aoife talked about was that a lot of us are feeling really exhausted by cooking, especially if you've got more people at home than you're used to, or suddenly you're cooking three meals a day rather than one at the end of the day. Um, So bulk cooking something, meaning that tomorrow you're not going to have to cook has been a really good way of trying to reduce the amount of time uh, that I'm spending on cooking. And I know that's really helped other people as well. Something else Aoife was looking at is seasonal eating, um, which I always think uh, sounds a little bit confusing because I don't think many of us are taught what is in season and when it's in season uh, and why it's better to eat a strawberry in June than it is to eat a strawberry in December. But it basically just means that that is when the stuff naturally grows in the UK. So it means that it doesn't have to be shipped over to you. There are loads of places on the internet that will tell you what fruits are in season. Um, But another way to do it is just going into the supermarket. You can normally tell if something is grown in Britain, it will be in season. So stuff like strawberries and asparagus, uh, which is all in season at the moment, you'll find in the shops from Britain for cheaper. Uh, So it's a good time to start eating it now rather than trying to get it in the winter when it's probably going to be shipped from somewhere else. And our last tip, which came from Aoife uh, and is super important, is to just use everything that you buy. Um, I've been doing a meal plan while I've been in lockdown, which I always thought sounded like it would be really difficult and take a long time and be super boring, which it kind of is. But it also means that I don't end up throwing away loads of food at the end of the week. um, And we actually buy what we need and spend less money and don't end up buying weird stuff in the supermarket that we don't actually need. Uh, So I think if I was going to take one thing out of lockdown, that would be it. Uh, We also have some more experienced people to give you some advice. We've been chatting to some chefs who have got their top tips on how you can be more sustainable in and after lockdown. My name is Mark. I'm a cookery teacher and a chef. Um, I also work with Hubbub across their food campaigns and projects. I suppose one of the, um, the upsides of lockdown has been that I've been working quite close to my home kitchen, so I've been able to get it into some sort of a rhythm. Um, buying and using ingredients that um, I might use again later in the week. Um, So reducing the amount of food waste and also saving a few pounds. I've got three examples of how I've got my kitchen into a rhythm, saved money and reduced food waste. I made a sourdough starter just the other day um, and I've been using the, um, the, the starter that I've had to discard as I feed it to make sourdough pancakes. So that's been delicious. Last week I, um, I made some butter um, with some organic cream. Um, I then used the uh, buttermilk that I was left with to marinate some chicken thighs, uh, which I fried off in a southern fried chicken style. I used the chicken fat um, to make a chicken fat mayonnaise, which I then roasted off some cauliflower in to make a cauliflower salad the next day. Um, And then also used the bones from the chicken to make a chicken stock, so literally nothing went to waste. Yesterday I made a um, delicious Tuscan style ribolita stew um, after having a bit of a fridge forage and seeing what was left in the fridge. Um, I used the peelings and uh, and any any bits of vegetable left from that to make a zero waste vegetable stock. And then tomorrow for lunch, I think it's pea and mint um, soup um, using the zero waste vegetable stock. The recipes for these are up on the Hubbub website. So despite missing the time I spend cooking for people or teaching people how to cook, um, getting my kitchen into some sort of rhythm during lockdown has been has been a real kind of boon for me. Hello, I'm Eco Chef Tom Hunt, and it's my mission to help you make your food go further by wasting less and saving you money. Over the last 10 years, I've been developing a food philosophy called root to fruit eating, which is all about saving produce 
so that you can create a budget for buying better quality ingredients. Now, my tip for your lockdown is all about meal planning or tips, I should say. So number one, run your kitchen like a head chef. Do a stock take and make a note of what needs using up. Then you can build those ingredients into your meals before they go off. Two, cook with the seasons. Find a seasonal chart. I've got one on my website, ecocheftomhunt.com, and find out what is being grown locally to you. Which leads nicely on to point three, support better farming. Find the best agroecological farms in your area and country and indulge in the wonderful nourishing, nourishing produce they are harvesting. By agroecological farms, I mean small farms that are practicing better farming methods that are more harmonious with nature. And it's really easy to find out that or more about how a farmer is practicing simply by looking at their website or talking to the farmer or producer of your food and learning about the way that they like to farm. Number four, keep a box in your fridge for the ingredients that need using first, then plan to add them to your next meals. Number five, at the start of each week, plan a few main meals based on your freshest supplies that will need using up. Number six, batch cook. Make extra portions whilst you cook each day, saving both energy and time. I hope that helps. Thanks, bye. And that's all we've got time for today. If you have your own top tips on how you can make your food go further in or after lockdown, then please send them in to us. We're on all of the normal social channels. Just Google Hubbub and you'll find us. Next week, we're going to be back talking all about the internet, which apparently has some environmental impacts that we're going to learn about. So don't miss out on that. Thank you so much for listening and goodbye. Goodbye.